But could somebody explain to me how are the Yankees going to have 98 wins when four of their five starting pitchers are projected to have an ERA over four, four, four? And I'd love to face Trevor Bauer in the playoffs. I'd love it. I'd relish in the opportunity. I would fly myself to L.A. to go see the Mets and the Dodgers in a playoff game if Trevor Bauer is pitching, uh, just to give him a piece of my mind and tell him what kind of pitcher he truly, truly is, which is not a good one. Welcome back to the Big Apple Baseball Podcast. Liam Godmer here alongside my good friend and co-host Will Peshek. And we have not been here uh, for a couple weeks on the show. We decided to take a little hiatus because there were some schedule issues between the Mets and the Yankees. But now we're on a Mets off day and the Yankees just completed their series, their big road trip uh, in Texas. Will, I'll ask you how you're doing first. Obviously, you have to be doing really well, especially uh, after the heroics of last night from Corey Kluber. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch that. And, you know, when, when you sit down to watch a baseball game and you watch from the first inning on, and usually after the first inning, I don't know if, if, I'm, the, if I'm the only one that does it, but I'm like, okay, we got a no hitter going after the first inning. You know, it, it's just something that I like to throw around out there. And then as the game got longer, I'm like, this is becoming more and more of a reality. And then to see it actually happen, it's just, I mean, I'm sure you remember Johan Santana's no hitter. I mean, very well. Um, but this for me was like, I, I, I can't believe that happened because it's, again, people want to say six no hitters in Major League Baseball is a lot. Yeah, it's more than what we're used to seeing in a single season. But let's think of it like this. There's 15 games a day almost, right? Everybody plays every day. We're six weeks into the season. That's almost 600 games. So six into 100, that's like 1.3% of you actually watching a no-hitter and for tap it to your own team. It was pretty cool to see, pretty special for Corey Kluber. But the the road Kluber took to get where he is now, I mean, two-time Cy Young Award winner with Cleveland. Uh, he's a question mark for the Hall of Fame. Obviously, the no-hitter helps him a little bit. Um, going to Texas, not pitching at all in 2019 due to injury, pitching one inning for Texas last year. Having a question mark, he's going to be good enough pitcher for the Yankees, no less. And on his own bobblehead day in Texas, because Texas had his bobblehead from his time with the Rangers, no fans last year, they couldn't give it out. And he pitches a no-hitter. Uh, just a good story for Corey Kluber. You did again every single episode. But uh, you're right, Will. It's a great story. And, you know, the thing for me is, is that this finally came full circle for Corey Kluber. Like you said, you know, his time in Texas obviously didn't go well. He had one start in a span of two years. Uh, and he goes back to Texas, back to where uh, he was playing pr uh, prior to being a New York Yankee. And he ends up throwing a no-hitter against his former team. Uh, it's got to be bittersweet for Corey Kluber. It's got to feel really good. Uh, and as far as a Hall of Fame, I still think he's missing one thing. I think he's missing that World Series. But with the way that the Yankees have been playing, 
they are well on their way to establishing themselves uh, as a big time playoff team and, you know, up the upper echelon of the American League and certainly the American League East. It's great to see. And we'll get into all of that. And as far as the Mets go, they are just coming off of a series win in Atlanta against the Braves. Uh, we are riddled by injuries. If you think that the Yankees have a lot of injuries, then just talk to a Mets fan because it seems like every single starter uh, is going down in some sort of discombobulated way. Uh, but regardless of that, we take down the Braves two out of three off day today, back at it uh, against the Marlins uh, tomorrow. But Will, let's backtrack a little bit. And the last time we spoke, do you want to talk about the Mets or the Yankees first? Let me um, say this about the Mets and the Yankees. Yeah. No matter how the teams are riddled by injury, they found a way to win the series. That's right. And, you know, that's the biggest thing because you, if, if you win series over the course of a 162-game season, you're going to have success uh, and win that 100 games. So Khalil Lee who's making highlight reel catches in the outfield for the Mets when everybody's healthy is unfortunately going to find themselves down at Syracuse when mm -hmm. everybody returns. And it's, this reminds me a lot about Liam, the 2019 next man up Yankees when everybody was hurt. You had guys like Cameron Maben, who's now on the Mets, Mike Talkman, Gio Urshilla was one of those guys who's now cemented in the Yankees uh, lineup permanently. Um, Kyle Higashioka to name another one because Romine and Sanchez were always hurt. And look where Higashioka is now. So, they're finding ways to win games and that's very, very good for the Mets. But yesterday, Liam, they had a chance to sweep them and look, you don't want to go back to Edwin Diaz four days in a row, but there's got to And look, I've said it over and over again, especially on this show, there's got to be somebody else better in that bullpen than Jacob Barnes in that situation. No. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to dive into, you know, the game last night against the Braves, look, I cannot be sit here and be upset that the Yankees did, uh, excuse me, that the Mets did not sweep the Braves in that series, especially playing at, at Truist Park in Atlanta. Atlanta has won the division the last number of years here. Uh, and look, we have Janashwe Vargas. Like you said, we have Khalil Lee uh, in the outfield. Cameron Mabin was our starting left fielder. Uh, Jeff McNeil is not playing. Michael Conforto was injured. Taiwan Walker pitched game one in the series. He got taken out in the third inning. So we are just absolutely riddled with injuries. Will well, I like the comparison you made uh, to the 2018 Yankees, the next man up mentality. Uh, and I certainly agree. Uh, and I think that's why the Mets were able to take two out of three uh, in this series. And as far as Jacob Barnes is concerned, the injuries, they go farther than the starting lineup. They go farther than the position players. It goes to the bullpen as well. And if you look in the bullpen, there is no Seth Lugo. There is no Dylan Batances, uh, you know, who are those guys well, who really pitch in big game situations, but. Let's get rid of Batances because his entire Met career has not been healthy and he's not been healthy with the Yankees at the tail end of his career. Lugo is a bit concerning because he was just transferred to the 60-day IL. So it seems like for the foreseeable future, he's not going to be in the picture. But I will say this. Trevor May has been lights out for them up until recently where he's had some hiccups. But let me tell you, the most underrated arm in that bullpen, two underrated arms, Miguel Castro and Aaron Loop. Mm. Yeah, and both from each side of the plate, right? Uh, Loop is the lefty and Castro is the righty. The Mets have used Miguel Castro on multiple occasions, including uh, game two against the Braves as a starter. He only goes one inning and then they go to somebody else. And it's also the underrated guys. It's also Sean Reed Foley, who's coming in and giving the Mets length. Robert Gazelman, who found himself, you know, as really the odd man out. Seth Lugo came into the bullpen and really took his spot. 
obviously with Lugo not being there, Gazelman gets a chance again uh, and he's pitching lights out baseball. So as far as Jacob Barnes in that situation, you probably could have gone to somebody else, but you know, you got to remember Miguel Castro started the game uh, the day previous. So maybe he wasn't available. Obviously Edwin Diaz had pitched the last two days. He wasn't available. Trevor may pitched the night before and he might've pitched last night as well. So look, I don't like Jacob Barnes. I don't think he should be a part of this rotation, but right now the Mets are so injured comes down to the fact that we will take any fresh arms we can get. And look, Acuna, he loves to jump on the first pitch. We have seen it from him before. You know, when you throw a slider right in his happy zone, that's what happens. But you got to like the Mets' resiliency last night. They were down, you know, 4-1 to one in that game, and they were able to come back against the Braves' bullpen, and it just didn't work out in the bottom of the ninth. So things are going to get better as we get healthier. I'll tell you why that was important. When you come off a sweep the way you guys did against Tampa Bay, and you go down to a place in Atlanta where over the past, regardless of the Braves record, which, by the way, is shocking that they're still below 500 six weeks of the season. But, Will, ha- Will had it first. Just just want to uh, point that out. <laughs> I, I, I thought they were going to be over 500. Like, right, right, right. It was just too good. Um, but turns out nobody has run away with that division yet, which is shocking. And the Marlins still have a shot, which is unlikely. But anyway, back to the still got Still got the best run differential in the division. Still. Uh-huh. <laughs> But back to the point I was making was, right. regardless of the Braves' record, they've owned the Mets at, at Truist Park in Atlanta. Regardless of, of how good both teams have been, the Braves always beat them there. The Mets took two out of three. And it was a resiliency. Tomas Nito, the bench, coming through again for the, uh, for the Mets. And look, I'll ask you this. The Gary Sanchez and Gashioka talk could probably transfer to the Mets now. Nito and McCann. What goes on here with the Mets? Well, you know, you don't pay a guy $40 million to have him sit on your bench. Uh, But also, you know, you got to look at it uh, from a macro perspective and say, who is the guy that is going to give us the best chance to win? And especially with the Mets offense the way it is, when you don't have Conforto, when you don't have McNeil, when you don't have J.D. Davis, you need your best hitters to be in the lineup every day. And I really think that's what explains Tomas Nito uh, starting the final two games of this series. And as far as James McCann, he's lights out defensively. He was called McCannon for a reason in Detroit and Chicago. The offense has not come along with it. He had a clutch two-run double uh, in, uh, I believe, game one of the series. But outside of that, uh, the Mets in the ninth inning had a chance, actually, to take a lead over the Braves. Cameron Maben was at first base, uh, third base, excuse me, with one out in the inning. And James McCann, all we needed was a pop-up, uh, excuse me, it was a fly ball to bring in Cameron Maben, and he popped it up to third base. So it has just been up and down. The defense is good. The offense is, and, I, you know, you just got to hope just like I'm hoping with Francisco Lindor that they will figure it out because these guys are proven hitters. So that was my next question for you is we're again in the late stages of May where at the beginning of the season, we said right around Memorial day, we get to analyze what the team looks like and players, especially, (coughs) excuse me. And we're eight days away from Memorial day weekend and Lindor is still hitting below 200. Um, Is there a reason to be concerned here with Lindor? Because again, this he wanted to avoid this. He wanted to avoid this due to the contract negotiations not happening in the regular season. He wanted it to be done. They got it done. So in my opinion, this is inexcusable. He got the contract that he wanted. Go out and play now. Yeah, you know, I think that there are a lot of you know aspects to Francisco Lindor's game that makes him the superstar that he is. And I think three of those, the main attributes are number one, his leadership. 
he has shown to be a leader on this Mets team, you know, and I'm talking about on the field, like he hypes up his teammates, whether it's from the bench or whether it's from the field. And Hey, I got to say, when you're not hitting and when you're not producing and helping the team win, it says a lot when, you know, you're there for your teammates and, you know, you're excited when other guys are producing, even when you aren't. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that Francisco Lindor is not a self-oriented player. He is a team-oriented player. And in the long run, that's important. Okay. You move on now from leadership to defense. The defense, I think, has been as advertised. Francisco Lindor is a great defender. I don't think he has proven any, you know, thing otherwise to any Mets fan or baseball fan watching that his defense is not on par with what it was in Cleveland. You get to the offense. Look, many analysts around baseball and many podcasters as well, they predicted that Francisco Lindor was going to have a difficult time adjusting to National League pitching as opposed to American League pitching. And you know what? The one thing that stands out to me is that Lindor is just out in front far too much. He is waiting on that fastball when it's 2-0, and when it's 3-1, and when he is up in the count and when he is at an advantage, he is expecting that fastball. And 90% of the time, you're not going to lay a fastball into Francisco Lindor in a hitter's count when you know he is going to swing from a pitcher's perspective. So it's been all breaking balls. He's been out in front. I keep saying every week, every week that it's going to turn around. My response to your question would be yes, I am concerned, but I think I can give you a more concrete answer uh, when we get into the month of June and uh, into the middle. I'll give him another month. Let's get back into the... The, the, excuse me, the pollen outside, yeah. my car doors, uh, windows open today was just, I, I can't stop choking since three o'clock. It is brutal. <laughs> Let's go on to the Yankees now and their topic. Uh, obviously, we spoke about Corey Kluber, but Garrett Cole gets roughed up in game one. Not something we all expected. We thought coming into the series, you the worst case scenario, you want to split two out of two. Best case, a sweep or three out of four. They got three out of four, but I was not thinking the only loss was going to be Corey Kluber. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Garrett Cole. Right, right. Garrett Cole. But you know what? I think that's very important because you know what? The notion in the past for this Yankees team has been, look, it's Garrett Cole on the mound. We are going to go out there. He's going to shut them down for seven, eight innings. He's probably not going to give up a run. If he does, it will probably be be one. And the team knows that they have to score a minimal amount of runs to win games. And look, they lost that game. But you know what? The fact that they bounced back with their number two and number four starter, you can argue, in Domingo Herman, and still come back to win the series, that's very, very important. And that's a sign of a good baseball team. And Will, for the Yankees, taking two out of three from the Texas Rangers, you got to be happy with it. I mean, like you said, obviously you want the sweep. Lost three out of four, too. So let's put that out there. (laughs) Exactly. And we will get to that in just a moment. The American League East is very stacked uh, at the moment. But look, obviously against a team like Texas, a team that doesn't have a lot of pitching, doesn't have a lot of hitting, you want the sweep, but you can't be upset about that. You know, just, it's the same talk about the Mets and the Braves. If you're able to take two out of three or three out of four from 75% of your opponents during the season, you're going to end up with a hundred wins. And we've seen with the Yankees, what is it? Seven straight series wins. You texted me. Wins. They have not lost the series since they got swept at home by Tampa back on April 18th. And I think that was really the wake-up call that the Yankees needed, right? You know, we sat here on the podcast and you said, when, when is this going to turn around? And I said to you, I said, look, 
this next road trip, and this is going back to when the Yankees played Cleveland, went to Baltimore, you know, and so on and so forth. And they've knocked that out of the park ever since. And I think the Yankees have finally proven two things. Number one, they're back. And number two, uh, they're probably going to be at the top of the American League East. But right now, I don't know. I want to ask you, the pitching for the Yankees was going to be a question mark. And I had more faith in Jamison Tyone when they got him that he would do better than Corey Kluber based off the injuries. Well, out of the entire pitching staff, Jamison Tyone has the highest ERA. It's in the fives. And you look at the three best ERA pitcher for the Yankees, Garrett Cole's at 203. You have Corey Kluber at a 288. And Domingo Herman at a 3.05. Then you have Montgomery at, at a 4.7. But those numbers are skewed because of one bad outing. And then you have Jamison Tyone. So the three best pitchers for the Yankees are Cole, Kluber, and Herman as of right now. And remember, Luis Severino comes back for the Yankees at some point this summer. So... Mm-hmm. Who do you take out of that rotation? Is it is it Jamison Tyone? Probably not. If I had to pick, I think they put Jordan Montgomery or Domingo Herman in the bullpen. Well, you know, if you're asking me for playoff time, I think that you are definitely going to want to rely on more right-handed starting pitchers than left-handed starting pitchers. And look, with the way that the Yankees bullpen has been from the left side, it hasn't been great. You know, Licky has been pretty good. Justin Wilson has not. You know, but, you know, if you're in a high leverage situation f- facing a lefty like Joey Gallo in a big time game, I feel OK with Jordan Montgomery, you know, coming in from the bullpen in that situation. But going back to Tyone prior to the season, when I was, you know, analyzing the Yankees rotation as it was, I said, look, all the Yankees need is for one of Ka- Tyone or Kluber to establish themselves as a top three starter in the rotation. And it's funny because early on in the season, it was, well, Kluber's going to be the guy who's number five and Tyone's going to be the guy who's number three. Now the flip has completely, uh, the switch has completely flipped. uh, And now Tyone is the odd man out and Kluber is the guy in that spot. But as long as one of them is pitching up to their potential and is able to stay healthy and have a sub two ERA, I think the Yankees rotation is in a great spot. And I don't think you even will go quite frankly to Herman in a playoff series. If you ask me, where you roll three starters, Cole, Kluber, uh, and, um, Severino. and Severino. That's and right. You need to, for the left, you have Montgomery who can make a spot, a spot start here or there. Now right. here's where I think you could do this. You can make Domingo Herman expendable come trade deadline time. If you need some type of lefty bat off the bench, by the way, they need outfielders right now. No Aaron Hicks. Uh, I think he's going to be out for the season. That type of injury you're out for the year. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's supposed to be activated off the IL either tomorrow or Saturday. Great news for the Yankees. He's a DH, but they need outfielders right now because left field, Brett Gardner is hitting a little below 200, and Frazier can't even make 170 on the on the batting average card. So they need a left fielder. And look, as much as as good as Tyler Wade's been, especially yesterday, you can't rely on these guys to play in in top notch playoff games. So. Domingo Herman, I say, is expendable to get a left fielder, center fielder, right fielder, whatever you want to name it, because the depth of pitching that they have, they can afford to part with Herman. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, just from a baseball fan's perspective, I just I just don't know how any Yankee fan can be comfortable, you know, with having Herman in the rotation and rooting for him. I mean, obviously, when you watch the game, you're rooting for the pitcher. You're not rooting for the person. I certainly understand that. But if one guy is going to be expendable, 
I think it's Domingo Herman. I think it's just, I think it's just best for both parties just to get him off the roster. And how good of a season you know? I think they could get a decent return back for him. Absolutely, they could. And was it not was it not Corey Kluber who before the season like was kind of like standoffish on Domingo Herman in a press conference? Exactly. I'm not sure. Zach Britton, excuse me, Zach Britton. Okay, but still, you know, some of his teammates, you know, maybe they're not entirely comfortable with him being you know in the locker room or the clubhouse and you want your team chemistry uh, to be as high as it can be and if you can trade uh Herman to get an outfielder certainly could work maybe give a call to uh Texas and see what's going on with Joey Gallo I personally don't think Gallo is a good fit for the Yankees I mean he is the exact definition yes of home runner bust yes like his batting average says it all home run 217 okay it's pr- pretty much all home runs the rest are strikeouts so right. they don't need that anymore. They don't need home runner busts anymore. Personally, I like Adam Duvall from Miami. Um, you don't have to worry about Domingo Herman shutting you down. He's going to be pitching in the National League East for a rebuilding team. Duvall's a nice piece. So, yeah, Duvall could be certainly a nice piece. And I think that there are a lot of outfielders that are going to uh, become crazy. available. Do yep. you think the Orioles part ways with Anthony Santander or Trey Mancini come trade deadline time? I actually think that the Orioles will part with their other outfielder. How about Cedric Mullins from the left side? I think he's a, I think he's a piece for their future. I disagree. I think that Anthony Santander is more, maybe Mancini, maybe Mancini. I could see it, but look, Trey Mancini means a lot to the city of Baltimore, obviously undergoing his cancer treatment. You know, he is, I, I just don't, I just don't think that Baltimore right now, would do that to Mancini's Baltimore career. Uh, and as far as Santander, look, he's a switch hitter. He came up last, didn't he come up, was it last year or the year before? Uh, and he was just, you know, lights out, you know, uh, at the plate and was very dynamic, has a lot of speed. So I think that they, look, Mullins was a guy who was thrown around for the Mets because look, as much as the Yankees are looking for outfield help, the Mets are also looking for outfield help uh, as we saw with Cameron Mabin. But the bottom line is we can get into specifics all day long. But and there are games go for Baltimore too. Yeah, yeah, job means as well, certainly. And look, there are going to be a lot of players available at the deadline. And as long as Baltimore keeps playing poor baseball, uh, I think everybody's going to be on the table and, you know, they should explore all options. Uh, For the Yankees, look, I'm a little bit concerned with Gardner and Frazier, you know, batting 200 or below. But you got to remember, you do have uh, Aaron Hicks waiting somewhat in the wings, right? Is is he on the year? I. They don't, if he needs surgery, he, he, he's out for the season. Okay. So we're still waiting to hear, you're still waiting to hear on the, on the I surgery. Think he's out whether that's, year. Okay. Uh, and I don't see how he comes back. Uh, it sucks because he's here for another five years and he can't stay on the goddamn field. Right. I mean, 2019, you played 59 games out of 162. Like he, he has to stay healthy. And Will, this is, this situation is where I really think if there's one mistake that the Yankees made this season, trading Mike Talkman, it, it, it just, it just is you. I agree with you that Mike talk. Here's where things get a little bit dicey. They get Wendy Peralta. Who's a lefty reliever. Who's been dominant for the Yankees since coming over from uh, San Francisco. Great, great piece at the time the trade Mike Talkman. Nobody knew that Hicks was going to be out this long or Stanton's going to be hurt and Gardner or Frazier not going to play offensively. But Talkman is hitting 222 at San Francisco. He's not laning it up on fire, but you don't have to rely on a guy like Ryan Lamar, who's a career triple-A player, and Tyler Wade, who's played 10 starts in right field. I agree with you, but it's working for the Yankees with, with Wendy Peralta. 
But was Talkman the right guy to go? I have no idea. Well, I think Talkman was really the most, you could argue that Talkman was the most valuable Yankee in trade talks, right? I mean, who wouldn't want a guy, you know, who can come off the bench or even start for your team that doesn't have a lot of depth like San Francisco? I'm sorry? He's starting for San Francisco every day. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the Yankees wanting to improve and add a left-handed reliever. Yes. But I think it's also the Yankees wanting to give Mike Talkman a chance to play every day. Uh, And that's where I can really respect the decision, but right now they could certainly use him, but will, I think the bottom line of all of this is yes. Clint Frazier can't hit a lick right now. Brett Gardner is struggling, but it doesn't matter when you win six straight series. It, It really doesn't. Yes, and look. In the present, in the future, you can be worried. They're playing playoff baseball. They're not scoring a lot of runs. Their pitching has been dominant. That is what happens in the playoffs. You see teams don't hit, uh, excuse me, hit come playoff time, and they win the World Series. But let me ask you this question, going back to the Mets. Is Cameron Maben enough in that outfield right now? Because Pilar, by the way, is a warrior. He should play hockey because he's great. We uh, want to send, by the way, well wishes to Kevin Pillar, yeah, uh, who got hit in the face by Logan Webb fastball, uh, 98 miles an hour right to the nose. Uh, and he think that uh, hopefully they're going to figure out something to uh, reconstruct that face and get him back onto the field as soon as possible. But yes, I certainly agree. I don't think Cameron Maven's enough. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because Cameron Maven played last night. I believe he had, what was it, one walk uh, and, you know, did nothing, you know, aside from that. Khalil Lee has been fantastic in the field, like you alluded to early on in the podcast. But Khalil Lee is 0 for 8 in his career, and he has eight strikeouts. The guy has not put the ball in play since he became a New York man. Somebody in the Yankees system who was a career minor leaguer, same type of situation. You, know, you want big league players on your team when you're trying to win games. So, no, I don't think Cameron Maben's enough. And I was very happy to hear that Sandy Alderson is still looking in the outfield market, still trying to improve. And, yeah, pretty much. I think I know one, but I don't think they're willing to part with him. When George Springer comes back for Toronto, they have a hole in the outfield, because they have so many. Randall Grichik. They're not going to trade him to the Yankees because it's an American League rival. But to the National League East, to the Mets, Grichik's a great player. I agree with you. I like Grichik. I do think he's a great player. I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to move him, and it's for this reason. George Springer can't stay healthy. George Springer was not healthy to start the season, and he's not healthy right now. Right now, George Springer at best is a question mark. And I don't know specifically the depth on the Toronto Blue Jays, how many outfielders they have. If it isn't Gritchick, maybe it can be somebody else. But I think the bottom line is Sandy Alderson is calling. He's looking around uh, to other teams and seeing who he can pick up to help his club. Because right now, Michael Conforto has a hamstring injury. We both know how long that takes. That could take up to four weeks. You know, Kevin Pillar. Do you really know how long it's going to take Kevin Pillar? I'm confident that he'll be back by next Next week or maybe the week after. Brandon Nimmo had a neck issue and a hip issue. You know, those are all serious unknowns. So 
it comes down to. And there was one, you know, game, I'm not sure which game it was, you know, in the series against Atlanta, where the most experienced outfielder at the major league level for the Mets was Dominic Smith. <laughs> that, you know, that's that concerns me. That concerns me. And look, I'm very happy with the defense. But when Khalil Lee goes 0 for 8 and strikes out eight times and fails to put the ball in play, sorry, buddy, I don't care how good your defense is. If you're not going to hit, you're not going to play. And, you know, it, it, obviously eight plate appearances is harsh. But come on, 0 for 8 with 8 Ks? You're a Major League Baseball player. The name being thrown out there also is Peralta from the Diamondbacks. I think his first name is David Peralta. David Peralta, yep the Diamondbacks and that's been for both New York teams, the Yankees and the Mets. I don't know if the Diamondbacks want to trade him just yet. Well, I think the Diamondbacks are a team that could certainly look to sell off, come to trade deadline. I like David Peralta. He's a left-handed bat who provides a lot of power. He's very good defensively out there in left field. So Sandy Alderson has a lot of options uh, that he can choose from. It's just all about finding the right fit. And I think that the extent of the injuries to Conforto and Nimmo and Pilar is really going to show you which direction uh, he takes in the long run. Just to pick up some other notes uh, on the Mets here as we move towards the end of the show. Um, obviously they won the two games that we reported on against Baltimore at home. They have an off day on that Thursday. They go to Tampa Bay, lose three to two in game one, 12 to five in game two and seven to one uh, in game three, just a nightmare series against the Rays. And Will, I want to get your thoughts on this because I texted you earlier and you said, nobody wins at Tropicana field except the Rays. Expand on that. It's that place is a disaster to play at, you know, the overhang, the catwalk, and hits the catwalk, it's a double. But if it's a catwalk that's in right field, it's a dead ball. Nobody nobody <laughs> plays well there except for the Rays. So for all the Rays fans, all 14 of them, that are on Twitter saying how good the Rays are, let's pump the brakes a little bit. They just beat Baltimore that has lost eight of their last nine games, dating back to John Means' no-hitter. So I can't take the Rays seriously. Your your hate, your disdain for the Rays just is it's just, just great. It really is. I, I just I don't think that they're as good as the record indicates, but I don't think you can look past seven straight wins, Will. I mean, who did they face prior? Oh, so they faced the Mets, right? And then, and then the Rays took two out of three from them. You know, right, right. The big bad Rays, as Kevin Cash calls it. He calls the Yankees the big, bad Yankees, right? The big, bad Yankees, as Kevin Cash wants to call them, came into your own building that nobody wins in because it's a dump that they should not get down and move to Montreal because their 14 fans are going to cry their eyes out when they leave Tampa Bay. Came in and they took two out of three from you. And now all of a sudden, you want to make the rest of the American League scared because you beat the Baltimore Orioles. Okay there, Mr. Cash. You can go take your Orioles wins and go shove it. Because I'm telling you, come on, come July and come August, I want to talk about the Rays. And if they're playing great, I was wrong. I'll put my hand up and say I was wrong. But I do not buy the Rays, and I do not buy the Red Sox. The American League East is going to come down to two teams, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, and that's it. Well, well, let's – yeah. I texted you about it. Yeah. The Rays and the Red Sox are not built for a 162-game season. Look how poorly the Red Sox have played in the month of May. They are built for a abbreviated season. You, Why did the Rays lose the World Series last year? Because their pitching was bad. Why was it bad? Because they overused their bullpen. Go ahead, Kevin Cash. Use them again. By June and by July, you're going to have nobody. You're going to have literally nobody. Nick Anderson, 
might have his career ruined because they overused him like crazy last year in the postseason. So the Red Sox and the Rays are going to take a step down. The American League is going to be the Yankees and the Blue Jays, and I don't see how it's going to be close. I think Boston and, and Tampa Bay are going to be competing with Baltimore for third place. Well, well, you know, we're a little bit prior to 50 games into the season, and that's obviously, you know, less than half you know, of the regular season. So you do make a good point, but I'm looking at the American League East standings right now. Yeah, Boston at number one, 26 and 18. They're five and five in their last 10, plus 41 run differential. That's the best in the entire division. Just, just putting that out there. But five and five, that's mediocre over their last 10. I think your record in your last 10 games really shows a lot. You go down Tampa Bay, 26 and 19, half a game uh, behind the Boston Red Sox. They've won seven in a row. They're eight and two in their last 10, plus 38 run differential. Say what you want. Yankees, 25 and 19, one game back of the division leading Boston. Three games in a row they've won. They're seven and three in their last 10, plus 15 run differential. And Toronto, 23 and 18, a game and a half behind the Red Sox, seven and three in their last 10. They've lost their last game and they're at plus 40. So, look, Will, I'm going to sit here and say in the end of May, beginning of June, where I stand right now, that this division is going to be very close for the entire year. I, I, I really think so. Are the Yankees going to pull away? Will they, will they have a three, four-game lead come late July, early August? Probably. I'll sit here and say that right now. But I think that you can't discount the teams that are going to be behind them. And you got to look at each team and their situation. Look, Toronto – they're without George Springer. They have not have they have not had him healthy the entire year. The Yankees, six series wins in a row, but they're you know injured a little bit as well. They don't have Stanton. Two of their outfielders aren't playing well. Aaron Hicks is probably out for the season. Tampa Bay, look outside of the seven game winning streak before they played the Mets, I would have agreed with you that they are somewhat mediocre. But they've changed the tune, and Boston will. When's Boston going to fall off? Because I'm waiting just like you are. Uh, they're eight games over 500. I'm not sure who they played uh, in their last series. They played the Blue Jays. They won seven to three uh, today uh, against Toronto. So does that, that change anything? Or I don't know who I want to win today, the Blue Jays or the Red Sox. I mean, if the Red Sox lose, that puts Tampa in first place. And yeah. Well, it comes down to, would you rather see Tampa in first place or Boston? And I'd rather see the Red Sox in first place. Then that, then that, that's your answer, right? There. I don't I mean, think Alex Cora, as much as I hate Kevin Cash, the guy's just a cocky. He's just so, so cocky. And I just, I'll, I'll, I'll never, ever, ever like the guy. And if he managed the Yankees someday, I'll never support him. I will never support Kevin Cash. Um, but anyway, Liam, this, in my opinion, we're seeing why I don't think Boston is built for a full 162-game season. Um, we don't play them until coming up, actually. Yankees play them. I mean, look, I mean, today, Will, at 7.37 p.m., the Red Sox play the Blue Jays. The Red Sox have Nick Pavetta on the mound. Nick Pavetta is 5-0, 5-0, with a 3.16 earned run average. Yeah, I think that you can't compare the Red Sox and the Rays. The Rays rely on a lot of relievers. And if you want to say that in the long run, they're going to get burnt out and not be effective. I can't agree with you more. I agree. The Red Sox. Yeah. I don't know. They don't play that style of game. Bring they up. play very standard, yeah. you know, and right now their starters, are they exceeding expectations? Yes. But can they carry that through 162? Will 
say what you want about Tampa Bay, but I think you got to give some credit to Boston. No, I, they got a good offense. Yeah, the bullpen's not good, but they got a good offense and they got a good rotation. Do you yeah. see? Do you see the Red Sox being able to take number two in the division if the Yankees were number one? And it's really a shame, by the way. I just want to add this in. It's really a shame, by the way, that the Yankees and the Red Sox have not played yet uh, at all this season because that's something I certainly want to see. Yeah. Look, you bring up an, an excellent point, and that's something I could agree with you, that if there's <laughs> excuse me, one team that's going to sustain this, it's going to be Boston uh, because they don't rely on their bullpen as much because it's horrifically bad. Mm. Uh, vino, good riddance. Hope you're doing well in Boston. Don't ever come back to the Yankees. Actually, I'd rather have him than Justin Wilson. We can do a one-for-one swap. And <laughs> I think that the Yankees traded out of Vino so they could make money to sign Justin Wilson. Right? Contract that I was not happy that they signed him for. Um, I'm surprised Shane Green was still an option this late in the season. Um, well, I just want to say Adam Adovino, 2-2-1, two, two and one, uh, two, two and 2 record with one save, 3.63 ERA. He's uh, he's performing. He has, but he's Adam Adovino, and he has a history of choking. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Well, if the Red Sox make it into the postseason, I would not use Adovino. That's for absolutely sure. yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, well, you, I think we covered all the bases. You, you uh, wanna, yeah. Before we end, yeah. I'm looking at the wild card standings on the MLB app. Um, right the there with you. Are a half game out of the wild card with Houston and Tampa Bay right behind them is Cleveland and Toronto. So Liam, you may see a playoff where it's the winner of the AL East and then the two wild card winners. So one through three, in the AL East could make the playoffs as a whole, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So I, like I said, I texted you this during the ninth inning of the Yankee game today. I said that it's very good to see regardless of your opinions on the teams or the managers of some of the teams in the AL East, it's just good to see everybody being competitive, you know, outside of Baltimore. Nobody expected Baltimore to be competitive, but that's what you love to see. You know, that's no fun for you during a 162 game season to be at game 50 and, you know, have the division running away. You know, that's what makes watching games fun. You know that, Hey, if we win this game, we can take over the wild card. We can take over the division, but well, I think we're so, so early to even be looking at the standings. And before we end the show, this is going to be a rarity on the big apple baseball podcast, because this is strictly Mets and Yankees, but will, I really want to know your take on the situation that transpired earlier in the week, the Minnesota twins facing the Chicago white Sox in the 15th to four ball game in the top of the ninth inning, uh, Williams Astadio for the Twins, who is their starting catcher, was on the mound. A 3-0 pitch to your mini Mercedes. He rips it out of the ballpark for a home run, makes it 16-4. And manager Tony La Russa for the White Sox pretty much ripped his own player to shreds. What do you think of that? What do you think about the unwritten rules of baseball? And do you think La Russa handled it correctly? I'll just give my opinion real quick. I have a lot of respect for Tony LaRussa as a manager, as a manager, not as a person. No, this guy does not condone drunk driving or anything like that because we've known what Tony LaRussa, you know, is capable of in the past. But I think that it takes a lot of guts to go after your own player and say, hey, that can't happen. And when Taylor Rogers threw behind your Manny Mercedes the game after, Tony LaRussa said, hey, I don't blame the Twins for what they did. I agree. I agree. I think if you're going to blow off 
a 3-0 hit sign, uh, a 3-0 take sign, and you're going to swing for the fences. I I don't like that. I don't like that in a 15 to 4 ball game. I just don't. If it's if you're up 6 runs, if you're up 7 runs, fine. But if you're up 11 runs and you know you're going to get a 46 mile an hour meatball, that's what it clocked in as that pitcher master deal, 46 miles an hour and he smashed it. Here's where <clears throat> I am different from the others and I put it on Facebook earlier in the week. If you bring in a position player, you're pretty much saying we have no interest in winning this ball game. So if the guy wants to hit a home run, he's going to hit a home run. If you don't want the game to get out of hand, put in a pitcher because anybody that's an actual major league reliever is going to be better than Astadio, who's a first baseman slash DH. I don't, I don't think Mercedes was in the wrong. What I, who I think is in the wrong is Mercedes at, at, at this part, Larusa told him to take, 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 yeah, and he's where I have in, it too. In order from the manager. Now that's coming from the mouth of Tony Larusa. Could he be BSing, bullshitting that statement? Yes, there's a chance he is because that's the type of person Larusa is. But from what we know, the take side was on for Mercedes to take the three-zero pitch, and he homered anyway. What? That is where I don't think Mercedes was in the right to do because your manager says, take, you take. However, to come out and say that it's okay for the Twins to throw at you and to say, well, Lance Lynn has a locker. I have an office. I make the rules. You're going to have now the entire White Sox team against you. And Tim Anderson was already mad. He commented on Instagram back at your Mercedes saying, keep doing what you do. We all love you. So the White Sox players know that La Russa was being a little harsh here. But what I want to know is the, the White Sox had to see this coming when they hired him, right? Nowadays, the manager are supposed to be your best friend. Like Corey Kluber, when he had that no hitter yesterday, embraced Aaron Boone like they were best friends, right? LaRusso would never do that to a guy back in the old days. You know, a shake of the hand, great job. Like nowadays, Alex Cora, Luis Rojas. Rojas managed these guys where they were all the AAA. So it's they're like really good friends. That is the way baseball has come. Lots of younger managers, a player's manager. LaRusso is not one of them. So LaRusso is a baseball manager, not a player's manager. And let me share this clip because yeah. people want to say that Mercedes did it wrong. How about Brock Holt in the playoffs homering off Austin Romine to complete the cycle? Does anybody not remember this? I actually don't remember this. If you're watching on Vodcast Forum, we have this for you. Against a backup catcher to hit for the cycle. Now, nobody complained about that. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. No. I mean, look, again, back to what I said before was if you bring in a position player, you know, the game is over. You know, the game, if you want to keep it at 14 runs, bring in a pitcher. And if asked to uh, not ask you, if Mercedes was a home run away from the cycle, I have no problem swinging right. him taking that swing, but there's two things. Number one, Mercedes, didn't have was not in line for a cycle. A home run wouldn't have been a big deal. And if he swings at three and one, we're not having this conversation right now. 
Because I think A, Tony LaRue, if you take three and O, Tony LaRusa, he gives you the swing sign for three and one. He says, go for it. And the entire pitch sequence in that at bat were pretty much the same. 46 mile an hour lollipops right down the middle. So, you know, he was going to get one on three and one, you know, so it's not like he was going to get something completely different in that count. So I agree with what you're saying. I don't like at all that quote from Tony La Russa about Lance Lynn. I, I couldn't agree more. You're isolating your clubhouse uh, at that point. But Tony La Russa, he cares about the game and he cares about the unwritten rules of the game more than he does the happiness well, the guy of his players rules of baseball because he left Liam Hendricks on second base in extra innings. When the rules of baseball go, if a pitcher makes the last out, the guy who made the out before him can be placed on second base. And he had no idea that. So he doesn't even know the modern day rules of baseball because baseball has changed drastically. And it's really a double-edged sword, Will, because you can look at it like that and you could say, wow, Tony LaRusa doesn't deserve to manage in this day and age. And if you said that, I would agree with you. But the White Sox are the best team in Major League Baseball running away. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I don't know if it's LaRusa. You know, I don't know if it's him. I just think they have a talented team there. But you got to understand, this is a team without Eloy Jimenez. This is a team without Luis Robert. Those are two of your biggest pieces in your lineup. In my opinion, the worst division of them all in the American league central right now, they are 26 and 16. Uh, is that the best record in baseball that is tied with San Diego for the best record uh, in all of baseball? Actually, no, uh, San Francisco actually has the best record in baseball. How about that? San Francisco giants, 28 and 16, but well, it's a double-edged sword. I think that you got to be happy with the way the team has played, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if the players force, Tony La Russa out of his manager's seat because these are not any players. Lance Lynn is the ace of this team that was brought in from the Texas Rangers to help them win a world series. Tim Anderson is the best player on your team, pitcher or hitter. Got a 300 last year. He was close to the batting title. So as an organization, you got to make some decisions, but will you make some great points? This has been a great episode of the big apple baseball podcast. We broke everything down uh, from the last two series for both the Yankees and the Mets, the Yankees, they have won six straight series. Will, uh, do they have an off day tomorrow or what is their White Sox Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How about that? (laughs) Make sure that the Yankees don't have a 10 run lead and, uh, and see what happens in the, in that game. So they play the White Sox in my opinion, That's going to be their first true test since they faced the Houston Astros. And we'll see how they do. They're going to face them in the Bronx. So certainly a lot of pressure. It's Jordan Montgomery on the mound tomorrow, two and one with a 4.75 ERA and his counterpart, another lefty Carlos Rodon, who threw a no hit early in the season. Against Dylan Cease. So Cole against Cease on Saturday. Um, If you're able to win the first game on Friday, you have a very good chance of taking two out of three come Saturday with Cole. And we'll see what happens. Pitchers duel all weekend long. Uh, this has been the the guy. Just one quick note before we end the show. Mets do have an off day uh, today. They're back at it in Miami starting tomorrow for a weekend series. And I will be at City Field uh, for Tuesday's game against the Colorado Rockies. Why couldn't the Mets go from Tampa to Miami? To- I, do- I don't get it. Wait, are you going to say Tampa to Miami, then Atlanta? Is that yeah, Tampa, okay. Miami, Atlanta? Like, had it like, or go Atlanta, Tampa, Miami. 
It, it, it does not make sense. Uh, and if you look at the, this would be my last point. If you look at the schedule for the Mets, they sweep the Arizona Diamondbacks at home. You have an off day. Okay. You face Baltimore for two games. Then you have an off day. So two off days in one week. Then you go to Tampa Bay and you get swept. Does one have something to do with the other? Maybe. Then you go face Atlanta for three and then another off day. So that is in a span of 10 days, three off days. How can you expect any team to be consistent when you have three off days in 10 days? Yeah. No. Especially with the way the Mets started the season. But I can go on and on. The Mets have a relatively easy schedule coming up. Miami and then Colorado and Atlanta at home. And then they go on a big road trip where they'll face Arizona and San Diego. Huge series for the Yankees coming up tomorrow. This has been the Big Apple Baseball Podcast. Liam Godmer alongside Will Peshek. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Yankees.